For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. It ain't the left side or the right side, then it must be the fin side. Solo D with another rendition of On the Fin Side. Here, as we discuss the Dolphins and Dallas Cowboys' recent preseason game, thank you for joining us on the Fin Side. Please follow us on Facebook and on Twitter on the Fin Side. Please email us your questions using the hashtag OTFS. Paul, I'll tell you what, I am sick and tired of preseason. I am waiting for it to end. How about you? You know, I like the preseason based on getting to see some individual performances from players that we may not get to see as often once the regular season kicks off, which I am excited for. But I don't like the preseason essentially because of the fact that we get so many people so down on the team when they started off 0-2 like they have, despite some good individual performances. A lot of that scoring came later on when most of the starters, if they played at all, weren't even in the game at that point. And you look at the 72 Dolphins. They played six preseason games, started out 0-2, finished their preseason 3-3, and and went on to go undefeated. That final score, and I know we've talked about it before, it doesn't mean a damn thing. That they did. And looking back, in addition to that, too, just going back last year, I thought the Dolphins had a phenomenal preseason last year in all the situations where it mattered. It doesn't matter what their final record was, but I thought when, when things mattered and they got some starters out in the field that their team looked pretty good, and then they start the season and they're completely unready to play. Even if we go back a decade ago, Ricky Williams in 2002 looked like garbage in preseason and then goes on to lead the league in rushing. So it doesn't mean we shouldn't look at individual performances and analyze those and look at this and look at that. Otherwise we wouldn't have a show here tonight, but it doesn't mean that it's 100% great or terrible at all times. So speaking of the preseason, one thing that we hope doesn't happen are injuries, but we did suffer one this week with center Mike Pouncey, who should be out according to reports for the week one game against the Seattle Seahawks with Anthony Steen, an undrafted free agent out of Alabama from a couple of years ago, has bounced around the league a little bit, taking his spot. Paul, how big is Mike Pouncey's loss going to be here if he's missed in the first week? And secondly, why isn't Craig Urbic or Jameel Douglas taking one of their spots? Yeah, it's pretty huge. Anytime you lose a Pro Bowl setter like Pouncey, and especially given the fact that everything behind Pouncey is a question mark. It's Jameel Douglas got his first action at center last season and looked spotty at best during his time there. And Steen's a giant question mark. He played guard at Alabama. And Urbic, well, I'm not sure why he's not getting some time. But it's scary because you're going up against a very good defense up in Seattle and you've got the leader and anchor of your line out, potentially. So lots of still to find out on this, but I'm going to be watching this one closely because I thought Miami would finally have a game for the first time in about a season and a half when they had all five starters healthy for week one uh, this season. And we're already going down here two games into the preseason. 
Yeah, it's a big loss, especially when you consider Seattle's defensive line. Now you have Anthony Steen, who's never started an NFL game, giving snaps to Ryan Tannehill. So we'll see. Uh, up to this point, I will give Steen this. He has played well in practice and in the preseason games. I thought he was the best interior lineman out of those three with Jameel Douglas and with Craig Urbick. So I like that Adam Gase has created this environment where the best players really do play. I agree with you there. But one thing I will say, too, is it's got to make it a little harder even because Steve needs to build chemistry with the guys on either side of him. And who's going to be on either side of him? Is it going to be Dallas Thomas? Is it going to be Jermon Bushrod? Is it going to be Laramie Tunzel? Is it going to be Billy Turner? We're kind of in this tune-in-next-week mode with that, and that needs to get resolved because this is a young kid playing out of position, starting his first NFL game, as you pointed out, and essentially he doesn't even know who he's playing next to. So how is he supposed to build chemistry there? It's really important that Steen does get as many snaps as possible and as many snaps as possible with the starting unit. Paul, moving forward, what I'm looking to see is a starting five of this heading into week one, or week, really week two against New England now that we talk about the line. Brandon Albert, Laramie Tunzel, Anthony Steen, Billy Turner, and Juwan James. I'm looking at those five as our starting guys. And if it, it now is the time in the preseason where the Dolphins need to build some cohesion, like you alluded to, heading into that first week. Yeah, and by all reports, it sounds like Laramie Tunzel's back out of the starting lineup on the initial depth chart for the Atlanta game this week. So, I, yeah, I'll just it's go stupid. with that. It's, it's a stupid thing to do. There's no easy way to say it. It is stupid. It's not, well, you know, this, it, no, it's stupid. I mean, you, what, what do you have to see with Dallas Thomas that you haven't seen already? I understand that you can't overwhelm a rookie too much. But Laramie Tunzel, I've seen go out there in two games and play heads and shoulders above every other left guard. You know, we're not asking the guy to move worlds. Go out there, play left guard, get the job done. At this point in the preseason, it shouldn't be much of a, of a conversation even at this point. Dallas Thomas is terrible. Laramie Tunzel may be a little bit raw, but he's got to get his snaps. Yeah, I, I will give Dallas Thomas credit for just this. Pass protection-wise, I think Laramie Tunzel is head and shoulders and chest and torso above Dallas Thomas right now. Dallas Thomas is not a great pass protector at left guard at any position you put him in. Not a great pass protector. I think at this point in time, but I think the growth will take him beyond him, I actually think Dallas Thomas is a slightly better run blocker, at least given what we saw in the game on Friday. Yeah, it, you know, Dallas Thomas has the experience. He may be a better run blocker, but I'll tell you what, you take a look at Ryan Tannehill's touchdown pass to Kenny Stills in this past game. You will see Laramie Tunzel absolutely destroy the guy ahead of him, create a clean pocket, and give Ryan Tannehill a lot of time to throw, and he drills it in there. Dallas Thomas is getting pushed back every time he's on the field and, and pass protection, and that's what has to stop. I, I'm willing to take some growing pains with Laramie Tunzel in the run game, but You've got to get this kid out on the field. Otherwise, screw it. Take him out of the left guard position completely and have him focus on succeeding Brandon Albert next year. You're listening to On the Fin Side. Follow us on Facebook and on Twitter. Paul, what else stuck out to you during this game? Now, I've got a few different things. Uh, I'm, I'm going to actually dive right into probably what you're going to know, obviously, is my first good player from this game, good performance-wise, because it really stuck out to me a step in Ryan Tannehill's growth in this game. Now, 
we've seen the past four years where Tannehill gets on the run, gets out of that thinking mode, and gets into read and react mode, and does well. But then when he's standing there in the pocket with a clean pocket, he takes too long to make a decision, or he overthinks things and misses his throws. Uh, He's less accurate standing still than he is sprinting away from somebody over the past years. This game marked the very first time I've seen Tannehill stand there in a clean pocket, make his reads, and make his throws. Now, it's a very small sample size, but it's something I haven't seen from him before, which was being comfortable and making those throws in in that situation, which is a very good thing to see because that really brings him up to that next step, if that's the case. I hope it is. We'll probably see a little more this Thursday, but I really liked what I saw to Tannehill. He made some beautiful, precise throws, and they were made from the pocket, which is something we haven't seen before. I, I completely agree. And looking at the game as well, Tannehill was twenty, or excuse me, twelve for twenty in this game for 162 yards. He had five dropped passes in this game, four of which were in the end zone. Doesn't mean all of them were, you know, right wide open in their hands, but you had Jarvis Landry drop two passes. You had Devontae Parker drop a pass in the end zone. Uh, you had Jordan Cameron drop a, a no-brain touchdown in the end zone. And Jarvis Landry also dropped another one that was a short pass. So uh, out of those passes, Paul, you've got 17 out of 20 that were completed. So if this is a sign of things to come, then I like it. And when you look at the 55-yard pass to Kenny Stills, on that play embodied everything I wanted to see Ryan Tannehill do for the last four years. He throws well on the run. He throws well on play action. And down the field, if he has chemistry with the player, like he did with Kenny Stills on that play, like he didn't with Mike Wallace, then he can complete those passes. So, again, it's it's a marriage between the offensive line, between getting a coordinator and a head coach that really understands how to utilize his skill set. He even ran the ball twice, too. Yeah, and one thing I'll say, too, in addition to those five, four or five pass drops in the end zone, I think it's four, actually, so I'm taking the fifth one right now. One thing that I... I Drilled me insane on that 55-yard bomb to Kenny Stills. Pass was beautiful. Hit Stills in stride. I really, really, really wish Stills could have kept his feet inbound and just streaked up the sideline there because it was there. And, you know, I'm not going to knock him for making that 55-yard reception, but that's the only thing I wish differently. I mean, there were a lot of touchdowns that Tannehill didn't get that were there, that he put the ball where it needed to be, and the receivers didn't live up to it for him. So, yeah, we won't even get into Jordan Cannon's drop because that was the most egregious one for me. Kenny Stills does have that rare speed. The biggest question with him is are we willing to live with two or three potentially bonehead plays a game? Not to say that what Stills did was actually bonehead, but, you know, this is also a kid, too, that had almost 1,000 yards receiving with the Saints, and for some reason Drew Brees didn't want him on the team. Now, I'll chalk that up to immaturity. But there's so many things to get out on the table with Stills. He has a lack of concentration. He had uh, the, the Saints couldn't wait to get him out of the building. And uh, in addition to that, he's a free agent after the year. So even if he gets that third receiver role and is really the Dolphins' deep threat, he may be losing that position next year to Leontay Carew because the reality is he's probably, Kenny Stills is probably going to cost a lot of money at his age if he has a good season. 
Yeah, I'll take the bonehead plays. Let's face it, if he's going to counteract those with 55-yard receptions, thread the needle receptions in the end zone, making the tough catch in the middle of double coverage in the end zone, etc. I'll take that every every day, especially after the past couple of years where we've watched Greg Jennings go out and make bonehead play after bonehead play and not have any redeeming plays in between. We've watched Jordan Cameron go out and have bonehead play after bonehead play with barely a redeeming play in between. We, you know, I, the list goes on, but I'll take the guy that's getting the 55-yarder. I'll take the guy that's getting the two or three touchdowns every time. And you know what? If he and Tannehill can build that chemistry this year, I might even be willing to see the Dolphins pay the guy because it's not like they've got the money invested in other wide receivers right now. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. You know, Kenny Stills, you really take the good with the bad. But, hey, if the good is a 55-yard catch on a regular basis and he looks good doing it, then that's a completely different conversation. Paul, looking at the Dolphins on the defensive side of the ball, still, again, another week, not looking good. Uh, you know, Cameron wakes out of action, but we're still looking for a little bit something more. The Dolphins on the first, the Cowboys' first drive, the there were five penalties completely in that drive with the Cowboys and Dolphins, most of which were by the Cowboys. They punted the ball. Uh, second drive, they get it back, march right down the field, 72 yards. Des Bryant catches an 18-yard pass in front of Culliver. Then Sammy Morse basically gashes the Dolphins all the way down the field. It's hard to make something of how a complete defense is doing during preseason, but it seems like the Dolphins are continuing to get gashed like they were last year. Not, it just looks all too familiar. Yeah, the missed tackles is probably the biggest thing for me, along with, like you said, the bonehead penalties. Hopefully, the bonehead penalties get cleaned up. Hopefully, we see the, the true starters out there a little bit more this coming Thursday, and we see a little more cohesion there. You know, we've got Kiko Alonzo missing some tackles right now, but let's face it, the guy's barely played in the past two years. He's got some rust to knock off. I'm okay with that for now. I'll put a pin in that, and if we get to week one and he's still whipping like crazy and there's no improvement, that's when I'm going to get really worried. They've, they've been rotating in so many backups so early that it, it's hard to tell. I, I thought Tony Lippett actually looked pretty good. Going back, if you look at his stat line, Bobby McCain probably looked terrible. But when I watched him throughout the game, he actually didn't do so bad. That one long bomb that, what's his face there, 19 for the Cowboys caught. Bryce Butler. He had perfect coverage. Thank you, Bryce. He had perfect coverage there. And the ball was just in such a ridiculously beautiful spot that, you know, Dan Reno always said the perfect pass beats perfect coverage every time. We just saw an example of it. Granted, the Cowboys got it out of their back of quarterback, but let's face it, he torched the Rams as well, who have a pretty good defense. So I don't have a problem with some of the individual performances right now. But if they don't get warmed up soon, get rid of some of the dumb penalties, then it's going to really be a problem, and they need to work on their tackling a little bit more because they're definitely showing their rest out there. Dak Prescott, I'll tell you what, he, uh, you know, stats aside, looks like he belongs. Gets the ball out of his hands quickly. Was incredibly productive in Mississippi State, too. You know, if if he weren't a, a kid that was smaller, you know, have that has that Russell Wilson type of, of size, and he, you know, he's also someone who got got into some trouble, had a DWI before the season started. I think you'd be looking at a first round pick instead of a fourth round pick. And the Dolphins started to see that, especially at the, this point in the preseason. Yeah, you know, Tony Lippett and Bobby McCain, I think, have skills to be molded. McCain did let up a lot of plays here, and I I keep going back to it, Bobby McCain. I'm not sure if this kid has the size and speed combination to pull it off over the long term. You know, it, to me, you. 
you either have to be a big boundary corner who can man that position on the outside, or you have to be really strong and really stocky at that third cornerback spot in the slot. I have questions about whether or not Bobby McCain can do either. Lippitt has size. He has some bite to him. That pass interference penalty on Des Bryant in the first drive was pretty blatant, but you know, at least he was physical and everything else in terms of pass interference can be learned through technique. So I, I at least like to see some bite out of Tony Lippitt at this stage in the game. But, you know, the Dolphins at the cornerbacks about Xavier Howard, Chris Culliver, to me, you got to get them back quickly. Need some more athleticism out on the field. Paul, looking at the Dolphins in general, individual performances that we keep talking about, three players that really impressed you during this game. I already covered Ryan Tannehill. He definitely yep. impressed me, and yeah, I, I'm very, very encouraged by what I saw of him. And he did well with a lot of time, which we also haven't seen in the past. But it's, it's hard to pick out any individual linemen. Now, one guy I will bring up is in addition to Tannehill, and his name is suddenly on everybody's lips around Dolphin Town, is your boy, the guy you want to get the T-shirt for, Isaiah Heath. Yeah, I think that you got peeing on hashtag is going to get bigger and bigger and bigger if he keeps peeing on people like he has been. So I, I've got to give the guy credit. He got in with the ones a little bit and didn't seem to skip a beat. Didn't look any different than he did against the threes. And especially given the fact that Arian Foster didn't look good and it's very, very, very limited action. And Jay Ajayi, well, let's face it, he didn't really have room to run, but he didn't look super stellar. So the fact that Pete was able to come in and make something happen has everybody just drooling over the kid right now. And rightly so. He, he's finally showing the form that everybody thought he would have coming out of college. For the third guy, I got to give it to Kenny Stills. He was a question mark a little bit coming into this year. A high ceiling, a lot of questions. And he stepped up in a preseason game as a veteran and handled his business. I mean, three catches, and they were, you know, 55-yard bomb and two beautiful plays in the end zone. What a sliding catch uh, on a beautifully threaded pass to him. The second one being in the middle of double coverage there. I've got to give it to him. He had one hell of a game. And with everybody else dropping balls, he took he took the receiving on his shoulders and did what he could. I'll never fault the guy for that. I'll give him credit there. He sure did. It'll be interesting to see what Kenny Stills, if he maintains that consistency here throughout the year. Yeah, again, as we always do, the three guys that you had mentioned really jumped out to me as well. I'll take three different players. Uh, number one, Andre Branch. Now, a lot of people are going to look at him and say, well, he had a 15-yard late hit penalty that actually negated Issa Abdul Cutis's interception. But throughout the rest of the game, I'm looking for glimpses. And I looked at Andre Branch going up against uh, Cowboys left tackle Chaz Green throughout the game. I thought he was creating havoc just about on every play. He's big, 6'4", 6'5", 285 pounds. He looks the part. I think this is a player that as long as we can hone him together, that he's going to be a big factor in this season for us. Laramie Tunzel, again, I, I, I look at a player, yeah, he didn't hit every block. Again, on run blocking, he wasn't the greatest in terms of hitting his blocks, in terms of, of going across the line and, and picking up the linebacker, and he did have a penalty too. But I watch him in the first quarter, quarter and a half, and his ability to create that clean pocket with Brandon Albert on the left side is going to make a ton of difference. You have Dallas Thomas otherwise, who is going to start at left guard for you and is going to get pushed back into the quarterback like he has for the last three years. And finally, 
like we alluded to earlier, Anthony Steen, the center. I watch him, and yeah, he's a little bit undersized, but smart. He's up to the challenge as a former uh, Alabama Crimson Tide member under Nick Saban's guidance and leadership, and I think he is ready to take that step up. You, can he hold up against 350-pound nose tackles? I don't know. We'll see, but even if not, we're only expecting him to play one or two weeks at the beginning of the season. Hopefully he's up to the challenge. We'll see if that's the case. But I'll tell you this, I feel better about our interior line with Steen and Tunzel than I did with, you know, maybe a Craig Urbic and a Dallas Thomas before Mike Pouncey got hurt. Paul, who are three players that stuck out at you for the Dolphins for bad reasons? Who stuck out for bad reasons? I think first and foremost, we're going to have to go with big Jordan Cameron. I know I keep beating this guy up every week, but he keeps proving me right, unfortunately, and I'm desperate for him to prove me wrong. Didn't get many opportunities in this game. Didn't really provide many opportunities in this game. And let's face it, he he was going up against a first-round pick in Byron Jones out of UConn, which I got to throw the UConn bit in there. And he had separation, goal line play, hit right in the breadbasket with the ball, like, perfectly placed. One of those movie ones where you see the quarterback flash back to his time on the farm where he was throwing to the dummy and he was hitting it right in the numbers every time and inexplicably just drops it. Just flat out drops it. And if you're going to be an NFL caliber tight end, whether you're a scene threat tight end or not, you make your money in that red zone making the difficult catches, let alone the piecemeal backyard toss catches like, like he missed on that play. And that's just, for me, completely pissed me off. I mean, at least Jarvis Landry, he was in difficult coverage. At least Devontae Parker, he was in difficult coverage. Cameron might have gotten a hit after the fact, but it wouldn't have even been a big hit given given this position of the defender. So for me, that, that's a clear-cut, far and away number one. But the second one, Thomas Duarte. He showed some flashes as a receiving tight end in that first game and came into this game, didn't really get much opportunity, but he flashed in a really bad way on a punt when he came in to be a blocker, which you need to be able to play some special teams as a third tight end, completely ineptly let his man come through and just blast not only the ball, but Matt Barr as well. And you can't do that and not make an effort there. That was just brutal for me. And then third, God, I'm... So many people miss tackles on the defense, but I'm going to have to go with Leontay Carew, actually, just because I expected to see a lot out of him in this game after not seeing anything in the first game. And he just seemed invisible again. And that worries me because this is a guy who's a leader, hell of a receiver, supposedly a Jarvis Landry clone, and he's invisible, which Lord knows Jarvis Landry's not invisible. You can't really be a clone and be invisible. So those are my three for me that stood out. For my three that stood out for bad reasons, number one is going to be Kiko Alonso. I mean, you know, you take the good with the bad with Kiko Alonso, just like Jelani Jenkins. I thought both of them, we can even lump them in as one, were run over all game. And it's not that big of a surprise. I remember on this show last year, quite often, it seemed like every time the Dolphins were facing a downhill running team or or a run-heavy team, Jelani Jenkins would have a bad game. But then when the Dolphins would play like the New England Patriots and you have James White and Deion Lewis that you're covering out of the backfield, then Jenkins would have a great game. But 
here, you know, my my fear is that with Jenkins and Alonzo out on the field at the same time, when you have, play a good offensive line like the Dallas Cowboys, they can just run straight at you unless the defensive line has something to say about it, which in this game that they really didn't. So, again, Alonzo, I'm still pretty excited about the signing. And in pass coverage, he and Jenkins could be great if the Dolphins really get that lead. But And run defense not sticking out for me at all. I mean, he's getting white. He got wiped out three or four times in that game. Jermon Bushrod got the start at right guard, was not impressed with him either. I mean, I'm glad that Billy Turner is going to get the start this week against the Atlanta Falcons. He needs to stay there. Stop moving him to right tackle, left tackle, unless you're just really trying to create some versatility as well. He plays best in the phone in the phone booth and needs to stay there, and the Dolphins need to keep him there to preserve some continuity. Third, a player I was really disappointed with is uh, Chris Jones, the defensive tackle. I thought he was a big steal after being signed after the New England Patriots cut him and in the first game I thought he played pretty well but he got absolutely destroyed in the second and third quarter of these games. It wouldn't surprise me if Julius Wormsley who's starting to really up his reputation in that Miami Dolphins defensive tackle lineup starts to see some uh, some more snaps and starts to push Chris Jones for that roster spot. Paul, in addition to that, taking a look at a few other teams in our division, the New England Patriots, we're playing in week two, and they've lost a couple of players here for a while. Tom Brady, obviously, is going to be suspended for the first four games of the season. Sebastian Vollmer, the right tackle, who's going to be tasked with going up against Cameron Wake, is going to be out for the season. And Deion Lewis is going to be placed on PUP. Does this increase the Dolphins' chances of winning in week two against New England? I would hope so, but New England is one of those funny teams just like Buffalo, where every time Miami plays them, it seems like the guys that kill them are, historically anyway, over the past few years, aren't the main guys. They aren't the ones that you expect to come in and kill you. Usually they're the ones that come in, they're replacing somebody who's hurt, and everyone, oh, ha-ha, the backup quarterback is in, or the backup run back or you name it, and that guy comes out and kills the Dolphins. And it's not just those two teams, but those two teams in particular seem to be the ones that, for whatever reason, Miami gets killed by the backups. And so that that actually could or couldn't hurt us, depending, I guess. Yeah, and looking at the Buffalo Bills, they at this point in the, in the offseason, I don't know if they're going to have any players when week one comes around. Uh, going back, Carlos Williams, who had nine touchdowns as a fifth-round pick for them last year, who killed the Dolphins. He almost had 10 yards of carry against the Dolphins last year, has been released. Show up to, showed up to camp 30 pounds overweight, was suspended for the first few games of the season. They lost uh, Chris Hogan and Percy Harvin, a wide receiver in the offseason. On the defensive side of the ball, it gets even worse. Marcel Darius who got one of the richest contracts for a defensive player in NFL history, again suspended for four games. Shaq Lawson, their first-round pick, is expected to be out at least till October. Reggie Ragland, a player I know you love, Paul, heading up into the draft in the second round, is now going to spend the rest of the season on injured reserve. Do you think the Bills uh, are going to – what do you think? I mean, uh, do you think the Bills are in trouble here when the season starts? I definitely will say I hope nobody asks me about their roster off the top of my head because I, I, the way that they're going right now, I may not know who some of the players are right off the bat. I, it, it's going to start feeling like, uh, I don't know if you ever saw the movie The Replacement, but it's going to start feeling like they're going to be calling on Shane Falco to come in and start because everybody's gone. And that, I can't get over the fact that they released what's his face a running back. I mean, it, how big of a dick 
you have to be for Rex Ryan to just kind of go, you know what? I don't have time for you. Get out of here. I'm, I've never seen it. That's that's like Marvin Lewis having an issue with somebody for having a rap sheet. I mean, it's, you don't expect it at all. And to see it happen up there, especially given the fact that they've got so many injuries and suspensions and you name it, it's a damn clown show. And, you know, they might as well put a big top over that crappy stadium that they've got up there. <laughs> and to make matters worse, the player who's going to replace him, Carlos Williams, as the Bills' backup running back behind Shady McCoy, is none other than Mike Gillisley, former Miami Dolphins uh, fifth-string running back. He did play pretty well for the Bills. Though I'll give them, I'll give them that toward the end of the year in, in relief duty. I wish them the worst. I wish them all the worst. So that'll do it for our segment on the Dallas Cowboys. What really stuck out? Three players for good, three players for bad, and what's going on in the division. Follow us on the Fin side on Facebook and Twitter. It ain't the left side or the right side, then it must be the Fin side. It ain't the left side or the right side, then it must be the Fin side. Listen, Dolphins fans across the land all tuning in To see what Brian, Cat, and Paul about to do again We rep our team, you can't change, stop, or ruin it All we need is to figure what to do to win Fans radio, live and direct Win or lose, we showing up for every contest No puppet talk, it's all raw and unfiltered Voice of the fans when the season looks peculiar Rockin' Apple Orange over here, then you familiar to fulfill the crap we have to hear about our team and all the latest news Vets the rookies trying to make the team paying dues Current players and alumni interviews City to city, state to state, follow the moves Call the hotline, Dolphins talk, set to go Best sports team and show all across the globe Fin ain't the left side or the right side And it must be the fin side It ain't the left side or the right side Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.